Hey guys, how are we getting on? Welcome back to the JCC podcast for episode number 29. We're almost approaching the 30s now, which is absolutely very, very exciting. I know we're almost into a year into this podcast now. It's excellent that we're up, up all the way into 30 episodes pretty much. But first and foremost, hopefully you're having an absolutely fantastic day. Hope you're having an excellent week and are enjoying the return to the gym back home. For all of you who are in Ireland who are listening to this, I hope you've really, really enjoyed the first couple of days back. Hopefully you're not too battered. Hopefully Dom's isn't too heavy. Um, and hopefully that you've really enjoyed just being back and back in the atmosphere. And I'm really, really delighted for all of you guys back home. So this episode is all going to be about the, con- the considerations to, to think about to maximize and fast track your muscle growth. And I thought this is a really important topic to talk through because most of you guys will be returning back to the gym in, in Ireland or wherever you are, are going to probably be training. And we don't want to take years and years and years trying to build muscle tissue when we could probably do that in six months time if we have all the all the tools and everything in the right place so this is what this episode is all going to be about first and foremost we're going to talk around training you know tempos training splits how many sets per muscle group all these kind of things secondly we're going to talk about um, recovery and supplementation and lastly then we will discuss nutrition um, at the very end as well. So let's get the ball rolling here. And first and foremost, what we have to talk about is always going to be around exercise selection. We talk about, you hear the phrase um, that kind of results are made in the kitchen and nutrition is 99% of the battle. Good luck building any like a very well-rounded glutes or good quads or like a big chest by eating really, really good quality nutrient-dense food. It is all done in the gym. We have to try and maximize our training so that we get the most out of out of our training, most out of our stimulus to maximize our results. So exercise selection is going to be really, really important from a, a muscle growth perspective, picking the right exercises for the right reasons as well. So exercise selection is num- number one. We talk about taxing different lengths um, of the muscle tissue itself. So I always use the example, let's say for a pec, for example, we want to make sure that we're we're hammering both the, the lengthened position, the mid-range, and the shortened position. So just to give you guys a bit of an example, let's say a pec deck, do you know, or a cable fly, something like this. That is taxing the shortened position. So when we get when the pec becomes shorter and we bring our elbows together, that makes the pec shorter. So we're taxing that shortened position a hell of a lot more. When we do something like a dumbbell bench press, barbell bench press, something like this, it's taxing more that mid to lengthened range. So down into the floor. When we bring our elbows back down into the floor, that's going to be a much, much tougher position to be in. The same thing with, let's say, a leg extension or with quads, excuse me, and um, a leg extension will tax more that short range, and maybe a leg press will tax more that mid-range, and a hack squat or a squat will tax more that lengthened range. So making sure you have all of these covered for every muscle group. So just have a look at your programming currently and just go, am I really getting um, my most bang for a book here? Am I just hammering that shortened position? Am I doing loads of cable flies and pec decks? I'm not really doing any pressing. Or in, le- in um, legs, for instance, or, or glutes, let's say we're doing loads of 45 degree hip extensions and we're doing loads of hip thrusts, but we're not doing something like an RDL or a Bulgarian split squat. From a muscle growth perspective, we're, we're probably going to see a much better and promotion of new muscle tissue in that mid to lengthened range. So your stuff like your bench presses and your leg presses and your um, hack squats when we're in that lengthened position rather than the pec decks, um, leg extensions and things like this. But of course we need to cover all bases, but I would probably put more programming and more volume into those, those lengthened range exercises. 
Number two, machine versus freeweight, a very, very common debate. I actually did a post on this um, probably months ago at this stage. Now it always feels like it was the other day, um, but months ago. And when we talk about machine versus freeweights, I think they both absolutely have their place for sure, 100%. And you know what? The more I get into training and the more um, the more years of experience I get, I just love picking up free weights. You know, I just love like getting under a heavy barbell press or a dumbbell press or an RDL or a back squat or whatever it is. Um, however, we need to understand the stimulus versus fatigue ratio. So what the stimulus versus fatigue ratio is, is pretty much as, as, it, is, as it says, how much stimulus are you getting from the exercise but then how much fatigue is that causing um, down the line? So let's say a, a squat pattern, okay? This is always a nice one that we can refer to. The barbell squat, for instance, what stimulus are we getting from that? The stimulus, yes, is quite high. However, the fatigue from moving excessive amounts of load through the spine, through the knee, through the hip, through the ankle, is gonna be extremely high. The demand on the body, the load on the body, the fatigue that's accumulated by doing that is extremely, extremely high. And you know that feeling where you feel extreme, like very, very fatigued and you're kind of feel like you're a bit run down the next day and like a gust of wind could blow you over. That usually comes from neurological fatigue and barbell work and freeware work will have that high fatigue with that. But a hack squat, for instance, and um, would be much more stable. So it's giving you external stability through the machine. Um, and you're obviously creating internal stability in both exercises, but the barbell squat, as you know, has no external stability. If you fall backwards, you're going back with that barbell. So you have to create much more internal stability with that, which then, of course, creates more fatigue as well. So understanding... Um, understanding this this ratio and I think that free weights do have their place but using machines to our advantage now that we can get maximal stimulus with very little fatigue compared to let's say a barbell this is also going to be much very very load dependent so if we're talking about let's say bicep curls for instance yes there's no problem using dumbbells and, and barbells for all of our bicep work because we're only going to be losing well if you're like me maybe 8 10 12 kilos something like that and um, where some some people out there might be able to lift 15 20 kilos whatever it is um we're not going to be creating so much fatigue on the body because the load is very 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 low compared to if we're barbell squatting i know some people out there will be lifting 150 200 kilos in a barbell squatter 220 kilos with an rdl things like this very easily but that's creating much more demand on the body so try to understand that this is load dependent um, and and understand that yes i think for, uh, machine weights and machine exercises or excuse me free weight exercises have their place but i think that may, the main bulk of our work should be done through machines for that fatigue, stimulus to fatigue ratio unilateral versus bilateral i think that uh, again both massively have their place we know that from a bang for your book let's say a perspective that bilateral barbell bench press barbell or hack squat leg press um pull up things like this that are all bilateral in nature so in, if, for anyone that doesn't know what bilateral means is by using two limbs at the same time so all those exercises maybe like a a single uh, limb or a unilateral exercise might be something like a, a single arm a bicep curl or a single leg leg press or a uh, Bulg or a Bulgarian split squat all those are unilateral um, I think they both massively have their place and I think that they should and um, both be in the program 
However, someone that has um, a lot of asymmetries like myself, I think this should probably be a little bit higher. So if I do find that um, in execution videos with clients that I can see they're maybe leaning towards one side or maybe one side of the body is growing a little bit quicker or they've said to me that they've had maybe a little bit of injury um, in maybe their right hip or lower back or, or their right knee or something like that. Unilateral exercises can definitely take a lot more um, more of the volume um, across the across the week. For myself, I'm definitely more and uh, right dominant than my left. So unilateral stuff is definitely going to be important. I always tell this story that I was uh, used to just do barbell work only. It was barbell bench press, barbell incline bench, um, dips, uh, barbell rows, pull-ups, lap pull-downs or wide grip pull-downs, barbell squat, RDL, hip thrust, only barbell work because I thought barbell was the, the be-all and end-all. However, I remember going to, I think I was a par- at a party when I was about like 17 or something like this. And someone said to you, man, your right arm is way, way, way bigger than your left. And I remember looking down at both right and left arm going, oh my God, he's actually, he's actually right. And what I re- when I started to peel everything back, I started to realize that I was completely biasing my right arm. I'd barbell bicep curl and the right side would be going up before the left because I was just using that right side. So for me, for years, I just ingrained really poor movement patterns. So I had to pull everything back. And you'll see a lot of the stuff that I do is, is unilateral. It's unilateral rows. It's unilateral presses. It's unilateral split squats because I have that imbalance. So if you guys have an imbalance or you have a little bit of an injury and that you've had for, for quite a while, just make sure that you have unilateral stuff in there. Tempo, an absolutely very, very, very important uh, point to make is around tempos. And I see too often um, misused tempos or or, um, misunderstood tempos um, across the board with people that come work with me, seeing videos of people in the gym. what we want to try to create here is something called maximal mechanical tension. And that's going to be the biggest driver for hypertrophy. And breaking that down pretty much means that we're using as much load as we possibly can in a really slow tempo that we can create intramuscular tension. So how much tension can we produce from the point A to point B of that muscle tissue? The slower that you do the movement, the higher ability you, you have to actually connect with the movement, with that, with the muscle as well. If you hammer through 10 reps really, really quickly, your ability to connect with that muscle is going to be very, 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 very um, uh, low. So the longer you take, the higher ability you have to connect with it, and therefore the higher ability you have to provide or produce maximum mechanical tension, which is only going to lead to more muscle growth. It's going to be much, much better for your joints. And also it's going to be much better from muscle growth perspective. So you're not kind of creating loads of inertia and slapping leg press up and down. For instance, let's say we use a, a 3-1-2-1 tempo on the leg press. So we're going to do three seconds into the chest, hold for one second in the bottom position, two seconds out, hold in the top position. Okay, it's really slow. The, what I like to say is it's almost awkwardly slow. So it's three, two, one, could you imagine seeing a leg press going that slow? But that is how we're going to keep joint integrity for a long period of time, but also build maximal muscle tissue. So tempo, 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 make sure that is nailed down. Rest times. <clears throat> I'm going to keep this really short and sweet because 
the main thing I would say is I've never ever programmed rest times for anyone unless I it's needed for that that exercise itself. And um, I'll never give it and never have because it's completely individualized. It's completely person specific. If I'm sitting here telling you guys you have to do 90 seconds where someone is extremely cardiovascularly fit and someone is really, really poor from a cardiovascular perspective, it's not going to work for either of you guys. So I would say that the goal is performance. You should literally not be able to stand up, let alone do another set with the effort and intensity and accuracy that I would want you to train at after 45 seconds. Okay, so if you're doing 45 second rest between leg press, which a lot of people do, by the way, or hack squats or barbell bench press, you're never going to be able to progress your lifts. Okay, so take enough time that you can maximize your performance and, and drive a progressive overload. Training splits, okay, a really important one as well that we need to nail down. We talk about exercise selection, all these kind of things that we've just talked about, that will all go into our training split. What training split are we going to do? This is going to be quite a boring answer and something that I did talk about in the Transformation Masterclass with um, everyone that's involved in there um, is going to be whatever you can fit into your week that keeps your desire to train very high, keeps your recovery high and performance high. Bore, very, very boring answer, I know. However, that can be in the in the form of a pull-push lower body split. It could be with an anterior-posterior split. It could be an upper-lower split. It could be a full body split, whatever it is. But you want to make sure that you don't leave yourself short from a performance standpoint, okay? So if you're doing three days in a row of pull-push legs and you have college work and you have a kid at home and you have... Um, all this other work going on and social events and it's, it's just too much and what you're going to become is a jack of all trades master of none whereas if we actually scale things back and say let's do like a couple of full body splits throughout the week get much much more out of those sessions become much more recovered and get a much higher desired training so you'd be buzzing walking into the gym if you had two full bodies i would be anyway i couldn't wait to get in there and do that so we want that desire to train but also it doesn't leave you short in all other aspects of your life as well body composition is one part of the puzzle we have a lot other going on in life and we need to respect that as well so sets per muscle group and we have to talk about a couple of things. Now, I actually will probably upload this on Wednesday. However, I have a post ready to go on on Wednesday. Sorry, this could actually be up on Thursday. I'll probably have a post up on, on Wednesday about how many sets we should do per muscle group. And this is going to come down to, to two things for me. One, how good is our execution and accuracy? And two is going to be how, uh, how, how experienced we are. So are we beginner or advanced? And we use the example of like a, a dartboard, for instance. Whereas if, if we pick a really, really advanced um, athlete or someone who's really, really advanced, 10 plus years of training and execution and put them into, a, let's say, a hack squat or a barbell bench press or a cable fly, whatever it is, they only need one or two sets in there because they, their ability to create accuracy is going to be extremely high. So they just need two darts throw at the dartboard, one, one for each set, let's say, two sets. Whereas a beginner will need a hell of a lot more darts to have to hit that bullseye because they're less experienced. If you ask me to go up to a dartboard now and try to throw it at a dartboard and try to hit a bullseye, it would take me 10 shots. However, Phil Taylor, one of the best dart, dart players in the world, is going to be able to hit that straight off the bat. And the same when it comes to the weights room as well. So understand that the kind of the higher your um, execution is and the higher accuracy and the more experienced you are, the less you will probably need in that session itself. 
However, let's give it a couple of numbers here. And this is all going to be completely um, fabricated or for kind of the average Joe. This could be less for you. This could be more for you. But I just want to give you kind of a, an understanding of those numbers. So for a beginner, <clears throat> from a session perspective, I remember doing maybe 10, 10 exercises in the session, maybe three, four, five sets each at some stage, which is just ridiculously high. However, I would say that from a beginner, I would be looking at something like 25 sets maybe in a, in a, in a session. 20 plus at a very, very bare minimum, looking at, let's say, if we're at 20, um, let's say 24 exercises, or 24 sets, excuse me, you have six exercises, four sets each, lots of darts to throw, and we get a good quality all-round session by doing so. Something like about 25 sets minimum per session. With that will be much, much lower intensity because our volume is high. And when we talk about intensity, we talk about how much load we can actually lift in each, in each set. So we probably pick a little bit lesser load, um, but much, much higher volume because we have lower accuracy. Now, when we get into more of an advanced lifter, we can really, really shift that volume down because if you, I, I train with about anywhere between 14 and 16 sets per session. If I train the way I do with 24 sets every single time I train, I couldn't walk for the week. I couldn't move for the week. I would be so fatigued. There's no way I'd be sitting here doing this podcast now because I wouldn't have the energy to do so because that would just run me into the floor. So when we reduce our volume, what we can inevitably do then is increase our intensity. So we're lifting much, much near our failure zone, much more near and mechanical failure, but our, our volume then will shift down. So I, I like to think of advanced lifters lifting at kind of like 16 sets per session and with a much, much higher intensity and lower volume, but much, much higher accuracy as well with that kind of anywhere between kind of 14 and 18 sets. And we talk about anywhere between 25 to 30 sets maybe per session from a beginner perspective. So we look at kind of an example maybe of a, of a more advanced lifter there. Let's say we're doing a push session, okay? And we, we say that we have 16 sets per session. For chest and shoulders, we could do three exercises each with two sets each, okay? So that's going to be six sets on shoulders, six sets on chest, and that gives us 12 sets. So we have another four, we have another four sets then per the session. Then for triceps then on that day, we can, because push is going to be chest, shoulders, and triceps, we can then add four sets on top of that. So it goes six for chest, six for shoulders, and then also four for triceps. Now, with that said, we could then potentially bias something on that program a little bit more. So let's say even for, for myself, maybe my, my chest is much, much less developed than my shoulders. So maybe for me now, I could do eight sets on chest, uh, four sets on shoulders and four sets of triceps. Or if my chest and shoulders are extremely well developed, I could do um, five sets on chest, five sets on shoulders, and then six sets on triceps, okay? So we need to understand that we can bias parts of the body and, and ramp up volume on those days inevitably. Another one that we could do, let's say, to give you guys an example, would be, let's say, on, on lower body, okay? So we have 16 sets that we can work with. Let's say for a, a female client who wants to really bring up their glutes, we could do maybe seven sets on glutes, five on quads and four on hamstrings or something like eight sets on glutes, four on quads, four on hamstrings. And that, that way we can shift the volume higher towards the areas of the body we want more attention to. And then that will elicit more growth across the board. You want to also make sure that you don't do excessive junk volume. So you're not doing 20 sets on glutes a day and four on quads, four on hamstrings, because 
the quality of the rep and the quality of the set is going to inevitably drop because you can't keep that level of of accuracy and intensity and effort in the set with that amount of volume with that so kind of if you think about a kind of a, a sliding scales if intensity goes up your volume has to come down if volume goes up your intensity has to come down that they kind of work um antagonistically so that kind of brings us to, to the next point there. So we've kind of covered everything on, on training perspective and we talked about the splits to use, the rest times, tempos, unilateral, machine, exercise selection, all that kind of stuff. So rest and recovery is going to be a very, very important thing that I, I look for uh, for all clients and myself because the phrase comes to mind when I talk about this always and that's going to be you can only train as hard as you can recover. And I'll say this to clients a lot of the time when, when training performance and I ask them each week, how's your training performance this week? What was your energy like? What was your progression like this week in the gym? And it will always be down when we do not tick our boxes from a recovery perspective. And it'll always be correlated back and I'll say to them, well, there's no, re there, there's obvious reasons that we've had that negative effect from a training perspective. So for this week, I really want you to focus on your recovery. That needs to be the priority for this week. I've been there. I've been there training six days a week without fail, six cardio sessions, eating absolutely ridiculously low calories, under six, 700 calories, I'd say, per day. And how was my performance? Absolutely garbage, I'd say. I'd say I barely pick up a, a, a an eight kilo dumbbell and do a couple of bicep curls with it because I was not recovering enough in in, in sessions. So what I always say to, to clients is that I'd much rather you space it out than cram it together. So if you're running a pull push leg split, like something like that, I would usually run something like every kind of five days, I would like to try and take two days off. Um, if you're doing like pull, pull followed by a push, a day off, lower body, a day off. Okay, so over that five day period, you have two rest days in between. If you're an upper, lower, upper, lower, something like an upper, lower, rest, upper rest, lower rest, repeat, something like that. I always say as well is that if you can walk in there and hit your numbers from the previous weeks, training four or five days in a row, you're probably not training hard enough. And that might be a bitter pill to swallow, but I would say that to myself, there's no way that I was training hard enough um, years ago when I was training so frequently. So understand that we would much rather you, myself and Zach will always say this, that we'd much rather you space it out and put an extra day of recovery in there for you to maximize your performance, maximize progression, and to drive muscle tissue onto your frame. Everything always revolves around performance here. You will see that everything we talk about is recovery and performance related. If we can't recover, we can't perform. And if we can't perform, we can't grow. So it has to be that kind of... Um, that thought process always in our mind. How can we improve recovery? If one of you guys came into me now and said, and I had a look at your data for the, for the week and I saw resting heart rates are very, very high, HRV was very low, our sleep has been poor, subjectively and objectively, our progressions weren't there, our energy was low, our train performance wasn't great, what could we do to put into place? First of all, rest. Take a couple of days off training if need be. And um, you do not need to just walk back into the gym every single day. So having enough rest time in place. First and foremost, or second and foremost even, second uh, thing after that is going to be sleep. What's our sleep quality like? Putting sleep hygiene practices in place, putting everything in around the sleep window to maximize that. Water, what's our hydration like, which we're going to touch on now in a second. Stress management, are something is something um, externally like driving stress up uh, from a in your work or relationships or something it always feels like it's almost pulling you down into the floor can we manage stress a little bit better throughout the day what was our food quality like 
and also just just doing nothing do you know i think that people are were i used to probably preach this a little bit more than a lot more than i do now is that kind of active recovery and rest days you should always be doing something where now i'm kind of more geared towards like on a rest day like just put the feet up on the couch hit your step counts do a little bit of cardio if that's needed to but then just put the feet up for a couple hours during the day in the evening in particular and just chill out hydration and supplementation so another important one that we need to talk about is around this and what can we do from a um, kind of hydration supplementation perspective to try and maximize performance in the gym so a nice little stat for you around hydration i know it's a a kind of a boring topic yeah we know josh we need to drink some more water but as little as two percent dehydration can cause a decrement in performance in the gym two percent that is so little but it can have a negative effect on your performance in the gym. So when you walk in the gym, if you aren't, if you're 98% hydrated, you won't be able to hack squat as much as you can. If you're 98% hydrated, you won't be able to PB your leg press. If you're 98% uh, hydrated, you will not be able to add another 2.5 kilos to that incline barbell press. So we need to understand that hydration is absolutely paramount from, from a performance perspective sodium and potassium so electrolytes we talk about is also very important and uh, we talk about like getting getting an actual pump and like the what happens in the muscle tissue is something called fascial stretching getting blood flow into the muscle creating fascial stretching is very very advantageous from a muscle growth perspective so when we talk about actually getting a pump what what how that is done is something called a, a sodium potassium pump and or sodium potassium bond and when we get these pumps we need to understand that without that kind of balance between sodium and potassium we're not going to be able to maximize that at all and so most people let's say 90 99 of the population are all very high in sodium very low in potassium so we can use things like again like broccoli some some other types of foods that have high in potassium and but also using some supplementation so like the electrolyte plus and from supplement needs is something that I use every single morning because inevitably your sodium is going to be quite high from adding pink salt to meals, adding kind of flavorings and seasonings. We'll all usually have salt in them and sodium. So we need to understand that having a nice balance between them is key. Pre and non-stimulant pre-workouts are going to be, excuse me, stim and non-stimulant pre-workouts are going to be something to use as well. So let's say a pre-workout and non-stimulant, and non-stimulant pre-workout are going to be different in terms of one will have caffeine in it and one won't in the non-stim. What they both do is have pump products in there that is going to drive that fascial stretching, drive blood flow, get a much, much better feel and connection with the muscle tissue itself. But the pre-workout one will also, of course, add a little bit of caffeine, add some more. Some of them will actually have certain compounds in there that will um, increase your focus in the gym, but also improve performance. Caffeine is is massively, massively researched in terms of the fact that it increases performance. Um, so do use that to your advantage if your workout is, is far away, far enough away from the workout window, excuse me. If your workout is far enough away from your sleep window, definitely do not go in and start hammering one and a half scoops of of whatever uh, total war or something like that or whatever pre-workout you have at 8 p.m if you're trying to go to sleep at 10 p.m it's never going to work so understand that if you're training later in the evening you potentially use non-stim earlier in the day you can definitely use use some stimulants creatine as well is also going to be an important one from a performance perspective again this word performance will just keep coming up and keep coming up your ability to grow muscle tissue all revolves around performance if performance is is um if we have a negative effect on performance we never we will never 
improve um, from a muscle growth perspective. So we need to maximize the performance, but that is all done in the back end through recovery. But anyway, getting back into this, I went off on a bit of a tangent. As you know, I'm as you're aware, I am very um, likely to do. Creatine is going to be something that helps to increase performance. And what it simply does is, and I've, and I've done actually a uh, actually, I think I've done anyway, an episode on supplements. Um, so kind of my tips from su- supplementation perspective, the what, why, and where to get them. Um, later on, or earlier on in my podcast, if you want to have a listen to, but in, in the in brief here, it's going to be a performance supplement um, pretty much. And what it does is that our energy that we use to create muscle muscle contractions or performance all comes through something called ATP. And this is just an additional ATP supply. So what it will do is create more energy in the body for you to perform at a higher ability. Into nutrition. <clears throat> so the clear cut, most important thing that we will talk about is of course going to be energy balance. We want to be in a positive energy balance for more of the year because this is much, much more productive. This is much more anabolic to be in first and foremost. And if we're not in that positive energy balance, we're 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 decim or we're giving ourselves um, we're not giving ourselves the best opportunity to grow as much muscle tissue as we can because in that in that uh, calorie surplus or an e- or positive energy balance which mean the exact same thing we will have much more energy to provide in our sessions we're going to be feel much better our mood is going to be better our energy is going to be better our performance is going to be 10 times better our recovery is going to be 10 times better so trying to be in there as long as we, as we can throughout the year is going to be a much more productive place going forward. Now, with that said, if we're not in the right position from a body fat level perspective, running a brief recomposition period to get ourselves into a responsive state so we can be in an uninterrupted six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 months in the gaining phase on a year-to-year basis. So energy balance, calorie sur- surplus is where we do where we want to actually be. Protein as well is going to be an important variable that we talk about. So I look at this, and I've said this a couple of times, I think, on this podcast, that I kind of look at this as a bit of a scale. So research shows that anywhere between 1.7 to 2.2 grams per kilo of body weight is what we want from a protein perspective. Josh, what the hell does that mean? So if we're 100 kilos, let's say, and I want you to kind of find this out on your own as we speak, if you're 100 kilos... What you need to be eating for it to be optimal is going to be anywhere between 170, so 1.7 times per kilo of body weight, so 170 grams to 220 grams, so 2.2 grams per kilo. So anywhere between 170 and 220 grams, um, 170 grams to 220 grams is going to be optimal, researched optimal. Okay, we want to also look at that as kind of an activity level and experience level. So. If you say that you're doing two full body sessions a week and this is the first t- first year you've ever trained, do you need to be up that 2.2 grams per kilo of body weight? Probably not. I think that you could probably be closer to that 1.7 uh, to 1.9 maybe um, zone. But if your experience is quite high, if you've been training for three, four years, you've tra- taken it quite seriously and you're training four or five times a week, four maybe four times a week or so, um, then I think that closer to that 2.2 grams per kilo of body weight is going to be very, very important. Now, the catch, um, the catch 22 here is going to be if we're in a productive place, if we're in a productive um excuse me, a productive uh, energy balance. So if we're in a positive energy balance, some of my clients now would be up at 4,000 calories, maybe even a little bit higher, a couple of them as well. But let's say we're up at around three, three and a half thousand calories. If we're up at maybe like four, four or 500 grams of carbohydrates, 
Those carbohydrates are oats, or pasta, or rice, or bagels, things like that, maybe some Cocoa Pops. Those are all going to have protein in them. So if you look at like a bagel, it's going to have 10 grams of protein. If you look at 150 grams of basmati rice, it's probably going to have like 15, 17 grams of protein. So for that individual, if we're hitting, let's say, if that individual is maybe like, uh, let's say again, 100 kilos, and we want to be eating 220 grams of protein there, a lot of that is being made up of, of protein that isn't really that bioavailable. Bioavailable just means it's really readily available and easily usable, and it's very high-quality amino acid-driven proteins. So stuff like our meat, our um, fish, eggs, whey, but also from a vegan perspective, some soy, protein powder, tempa, things like this are all going to be important, corn. Um, all those are very bioavailable sources. So we need to make sure that we have more of those in the diet than, than not. So if we look at our number, maybe it might say 220, and that might be, wow, that's really, really high level of protein. But if we're eating 4,000 calories and we have 600 grams of carbs, that 220 isn't really 220 of lean bioavailable protein. So maybe the number might shoot a little bit higher than that. However, when you actually strip things back and you look at like, oh, I'm only eating 100 grams of beef and 75 grams of chicken and one egg in the morning and my protein's still at 220. So you have to look at things that say, how much are we getting per meal? So we want to be getting maybe 25, 30, 35 grams per meal of bioavailable protein. So how much protein are you getting from your chicken, your whey, your beef, your eggs, your tempa, your corn, things like that. So do have a look at that protein balance. We also look at pre and post-workout nutrition. And if I'm right, I did do podcasts around this, around meal timing. So I will keep this short and sweet. But from a pre-workout perspective, we want to get that in around 120 minutes before we train. Make sure it's a good quality meal. Make sure it's it's large enough that you're not hungry going into your session, that we can allow digestibility to occur, that we can go in and maximize our performance in the gym and utilize that food. We want to get our carbohydrates, probably more of a slower release in carbohydrates, maybe oats, something like this, and um, protein source, and also dietary fat in there, which is going to help, help with glucose stabilization and just slow down the release of carbohydrates a little bit and um, with that dietary fat in there. Now we've just gone in, let's say that we've absolutely rinsed our, our push session that we were talking about earlier, or a leg session, something like this. We need to take a little bit of time for body to calm down, for us to have a little bit more of a parasympathetic shift of the nervous system, which pretty much is the rest and digest side of the nervous system. This will inevitably allow us to increase our ability to digest our food, increase our ability to utilize our food sorry the computer almost turned off there on me i've been talking for so long apologies um our post sorry excuse me let me let me pull things back here for a second so um i'm trying to remember where i was now so that will allow us parasympathetic shift will allow us to increase our ability to digest food which will increase our ability to utilize that food and we'll actually be able to use that food to much much higher ability in that post-workout nutrition, I would probably prefer more protein and carbohydrates rather than any additional dietary fat because we want a quicker absorbing carbohydrate in there and that dietary fat source is probably going to slow things down a little bit. Okay, So pre and post-workout nutrition is going to maximize your training in the gym that day and then also from a recovery perspective, it's going to improve your recovery-free session tomorrow. Okay. So with that said, I think that pretty much brings everything to a close now that I wanted to talk about. 
Exercise selection, machine versus free weights, tempos, rest times, training, sets per muscle groups. And also we talked about a rest and recovery. And again, that phrase, guys, you can only train as hard as you can recover. If you don't maximize your recovery, we're never going to be able to maximize our training. Hydration, supplementation, energy balance need to be in a positive energy balance to maximize muscle growth, protein targets, and pre and post-workout nutrition. So with that said, guys, that was actually a really enjoyable episode on my end, and hopefully that you guys took a lot of value from that. As always, there are coaching spots available from, from with myself and Zach. So if you guys have got back into the gym and felt like, oh, you know what, I don't really feel like I have a plan, I don't have a structure, I don't have direction, I don't know where I'm going, do you know, and what exercises I should be doing, how many sets, how many reps, what exercise selection I should actually be doing, what my splits are like what meals I should be eating, what what time of the day, how much, all these kind of things that we, we need help with from time to time. That's what myself and Zach are here for. From a, a physique perspective, that's what we're here for. It's to try and take your physique to the next level through nutrition, training, and lifestyle management. If you want to apply for coaching, please click the link in our bio. You can fill out, it like I think it's a three-minute application form um, to, to give us a little bit of information about you um, and your goals. And also then you can select uh, your results roadmap call. And this is going to be completely free of charge for you to select a time that suits you where we can jump on and talk everything through from a, a perspective of where you feel you're at right now where you actually want to try and get to, and also how are we going to get there as well. So with that said, guys, we'd absolutely love to have you on board with my team. Um, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Please keep sharing the podcast. It really, really means a lot every single time I see it. And we will catch you in the next one.